Some of you, at least, will be familiar with the transcribed talk of Ajahn Chah's that's titled In the Dead of the Night. And in this talk, Ajahn Chah very helpfully explains a very intense experience he had in early stage of his practice where he was confronted with intense fear. And he talks about being in the charnel ground. I think it was on two different nights where the local village people had bought the bodies of some some people who had died to burn there. And right near where he was sitting meditation. And, And he very helpfully describes in this talk the experience of intense terror that he felt confronted by in the process of inquiring into it. And if you haven't read this talk, I encourage you to do so in the dead of the night and see how the way he was approaching this intensity, it led to deepening into the encounter with fear and also the encounter with deep sadness and how he was able to ride these waves through to a profound clarity and confidence. As I said, it's very, it's very inspiring talk. And the reason that I mention it here is because anybody who is really serious about their spiritual practices sooner or later uh, very likely to find themselves in a situation similar to that which is illustrated by this teaching that Ajahn Chah gave. Probably not going to be an actual charnel ground. However, the chances are you will at some stage in practice encounter uh, yourself, you'll meet yourself in a place where you really don't want to be. There'll be an intensity and a sense of challenge. Feel challenged right right to the core. And so the question then is if this is part of this journey, how do we how do we prepare ourselves? How do we prepare ourselves so that we learn what we we can potentially learn in that situation? How can we learn to, how can we prepare ourselves so that we're not overwhelmed? That's the question. How can we prepare ourselves so we're not overwhelmed by the intensity of fear or aversion? And learn what we need to learn, which is how to let go of misidentification. This clinging that we do to this false personality, this deluded sense of self. That's 
That's the possibility. Such an encounter, such an experience of intensity has the possibility of teaching us something very profound. And and that means much more than just imagining how we could be or should be. That's just more uh, delusion. How do we really prepare ourselves? How do we usefully make effort so that if we have such an experience or when we have such an experience, we're not just lost in overwhelm? There's a Dhammapada verse, verse 380, which uh, points in a very useful direction. And, And the verse says, you are your own protector. You are indeed your own secure abiding. How could it be otherwise? So with due care you attend to yourself just as a trainer tends to a thoroughbred. So you are your own protector. You are indeed your own secure abiding. How could it be otherwise? So with due care you attend to yourself just as a trainer tends to a thoroughbred. Some of you will have probably read this verse and some comments that I made about it in the last full moon Dhammapada reflection that I sent out. And on that occasion I, I was very embarrassed to find out that I had actually had omitted the last line, the fifth line, just as a trainer attends to tends to a thoroughbred because that's a somebody wrote to me and, and pointed out that I'd forgotten or, or rang me or told me one way or the other that I had missed that line out and that's really important because what it's illustrating is that the quality of care that we should be giving to ourselves is the very best quality of care not really we fall into the habit or we make the mistake of projecting our hopes for finding security or true identity outwards. And we imagine that there's some external authority or presence or entity or teacher or tradition that is going to save us. However, if we heed this teaching the Buddha is offering us, and you are your own secure abiding. Which means we need to really be getting to know ourselves. Really getting to know ourselves. Really looking inwards. Not only looking inwards, not becoming obsessed with ourselves. Self-obsession, that's a big mistake. However, projecting our hope and interest in finding security and outwardly it's a, that's a mistake and so this encouragement to look inwards to really get to know ourselves on all levels so when there's fear when we encounter fear to really get to know ourselves and to inquire what is fear actually actually what is my relationship with fear can we really meet ourselves when there's fear can we meet ourselves when there's confidence Can we meet ourselves when there's joy, when there's sorrow? Are we willing? Are we interested? Are we using our spiritual practice 
to include all of this because this is this is what's encouraged and just been chanting the Dhammachaka Sutta the the very beginning the very beginning the Buddha points out the the two mistakes that are regularly made that is one indulging and denying these are the two extremes they're not the middle way they're not that which is encouraged so the tendency to indulge in joy or to deny sorrow to indulge in confidence or to deny confusion these inclinations to indulge and deny this is this is not the way this is the dead end however there is this alternative perspective that he referred to as the middle way this quality of just knowing that he realized just knowing awareness that is able to see to really meet the condition without being drawn into it so often in our case when there's joy we just get lost in joy when there's sorrow we just get lost in sorrow when there's happiness we get lost in happiness when there's sadness we get lost in sadness now we're not talking about pretending that it's otherwise or judging ourselves for getting lost but rather heeding the Buddha's encouragement of getting to know ourselves when we meet ourselves when there's joy really to enjoy joy without getting lost in the joy and then when there's sadness and sorrow do we have that strength do we have that capacity do we have that interest to really get to know ourselves there there's a risk in meditation practice whereby once we discover the potential for mindfulness and concentration we can use these skills to manipulate how we feel. We can manipulate our emotions, manipulate our feelings, manipulate our inner world using mindfulness and concentration. And, and instead of there, these, being, these being means for taking us towards meeting ourselves and learning to let go of ourselves and, and find true understanding, there's a risk that we can just use them as, as an extension of our deluded personality. They just become another extension of our deluded egos. That's quite possible. In fact, it happens in meditation circles. It's based on this uh, uh, mistaken idea of the, that progress in practice means that we're going to be happy all the time. The reality is that this path of practice is going to hopefully give us a, a good deal of happiness and contentment. However, it's also almost guaranteed, for most of us anyway, to take us through some very difficult territories. So how do we, again, how do we prepare ourselves so that when we find ourselves in our own personal channel ground, we really don't want to be there, really don't want to be there, and yet that way that's where we are. How can we meet ourselves there? In my commentary on that Dhammapada verse 380, I commented on the line where the Buddha says, you are your own protector. And to remember, that doesn't mean to say that, that you know, we, we're going to be protected from painful feelings. Feelings of loss are normal for all human beings. Again, we were just chanting the Dhammachakra Sutta. You know, painful feelings 
are normal for all beings. How do we learn what we need to learn when we meet painful feelings like disappointment? Well, many times I've spoken before about the cultivating, developing the spiritual faculties. Sandha, virya, sati, samadhi, panya. Faith, energy, mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment. And it's true. These potentials do need to be developed. We need to not just have an idea of faith, not just, for instance, not just believe that we're part of the best club, you know, we've got the best religion. That's a belief system that a lot of people uh, subscribe to. That's not what Ajahn Chah was doing when he, when he encountered that deep fear and that, those waves of sadness. The faith that Ajahn Chah had prepared himself with, had equipped himself with, was a tried and tested quality of faith that perhaps might more accurately be described as, or usefully be described as trust. He was trusting that there is, he was living with a trusting attitude, there is freedom from suffering. And what was the result of that trust? Well, he was able to sit through, he was able to endure that which was apparently unendurable. When we're sitting in our own personal charnel ground, we confronted with something that appears insurmountable, intolerable, unbearable, then to have that faculty alive, sadha, faith, trust, confidence, so that we don't default to turning away to our habits of distraction. Faith has the power to outshine the old habits of conditioned distraction. We're all familiar with how when we're struggling with something unpleasant, we want to distract ourselves. We don't want to know about it. Of course that's true on some level. However, if we're committed to these teachings and we're really, really interested in understanding those things that obstruct freedom, lead to suffering, then we want something that's going to sustain us, and that's that's sadha, that's that's what sustains us, that trust, that confidence, that faith. There is the possibility of going beyond suffering. That's the faith. And that's significant. And that's much more than I said, there's much more than just believing in the Buddha's teachings. It's it's not even necessarily got a voice, a quiet inner confidence that sustains us. I sometimes think of faith as being like the fragrance of a flower. It's not quite the same. It's not the same as the, you know, when you, you look at a flower, you've got the color and you can take a photograph of the flower. And, or if it's like a rose, you, you can touch it very carefully, otherwise you, know, you can hurt yourself. And, so there's definitely the tactile experience of, of the rose. There's the fragrance of the rose. That's something else. The fragrance is kind of it's like it's amorphous. It's, it's not 
so tangible. And likewise, faith is not something that we can necessarily get. And if we're still, if our practice is still based on thinking all the time, then when we are encountering things that are really difficult, we're going to struggle. So let's remember the importance of cultivating faith. Let's remember the importance of of cultivating energy, virya. You know, Rajan Chah was sitting there in the channel ground. He wasn't just somewhat energetic. He was, he was riveted. He was riveted and determined and motivated, intensely motivated. And that's something that can be cultivated, needs to be cultivated. The motivation, the energy to engage with what's happening in the moment. Again, so often we are up in our heads thinking about how things could be or should be or might be or so on that, that we're not really, we don't have the energy, we don't have the motivation to really pay attention inwards. Like, what is this experience? What is this experience of fear? What is this experience of aversion? Really, what is it? You need to have that the energy to look deeply, to look subtly, to look sensitively. And then when we, maybe we see it on one level and then there's another level and we need to stick with it. That motivation, that energy, that determination. And sati, mindfulness. Mindfulness is not just counting a few breaths or watching some of the activity of our minds and the mindfulness that Ajahn Chah had prepared himself with, equipped himself with was a quality of presence a quality of presence, really being there for the experience, really being there for the experience so we need to reflect on these these spiritual faculties and not just have a conceptual understanding and not just thinking they're a great idea, sadha, virya, sati, samadhi, panya, faith, energy, mindfulness, collectiveness, discernment. You know, we heard talks about that before, that's all a good idea. What is it really? What are these really? What really is, what really does it mean to be really present, present in the body, present in our feelings? Mm-hmm. So these five spiritual faculties, when talking about how do we prepare ourselves so as to not be lost and overwhelmed when we are encountering that which we really wish we hadn't encountered and learn what we potentially could learn from it. Yes. Though there's another aspect of this that I'd like to mention that uh, in terms of the Buddha saying uh, you are your own secure abiding. You need to pay attention to yourself and uh, to make sure that we're not just turning these spiritual faculties or these Buddhist teachings into more strategies. It takes a subtlety, a great subtlety of attention to be even willing to reflect on how we make a self out of our practice, my practice my meditation, my awareness, my tranquility, my faith, 
or my lack of faith, or my mindfulness, or my lack of mindfulness. This is a pollution. This is a distortion of our practice. This is a limitation. This is a limitation in practice. And like we turn, for instance, we turn the five spiritual faculties into these five things out there. I've got to develop more faith. I've got to develop more energy. I've got to develop more concentration. I've got to develop the jhanas. These concepts, these things. You know. Sometimes maybe what's called for, if we catch ourselves doing that, and we will at some stage, if we're sincere and we keep practicing, we will sooner or later catch ourselves trying to solidify, trying to get faith, trying to hold on to faith, trying to understand faith, rather than just trusting in faith. So if we are sincere, then sooner or later we're bound to come across to this tendency to trying to solidify these aspects of practice. And one way of addressing that, if we find ourselves, is to be willing to try, try practicing for a while without any strategies at all. You can see how we can be using meditation as a strategy. Mm-hmm. As I was saying before, you know, some people have the idea that you know, the spiritual practice is supposed to be making us happy all the time. Spiritual practice is hopefully refining down these potentials, these five spiritual faculties, so that we have a quality of aliveness, a quality of presence, so that whatever life gives us, whether it's joy or sorrow or intensity or mediocrity, that there's a interest and a, and an aliveness there so that we can learn from it. Learn to see, are we indulging or are we denying? Learning what we need to learn so until letting go happens. Mm. So, dropping in the suggestion of no strategy, what does that do? What does it mean to practice without any strategy? Deluded personality, deluded ego just loves controlling. All deluded egos are control freaks. And we can, if we're not careful, we can use our meditation into another more sophisticated form of control freakery. So if we just drop in the suggestion, can we practice no strategies, not try to get anywhere, not trying to get rid of anything? What does that do? Well, hopefully as a suggestion, it might help prepare us so that we have what we need when we find ourselves sitting in our own personal channel ground, so to speak, and learn what we need to learn. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. <coughs>